Now we read this story in Mark's Gospel, in chapter 4. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, notice it's Jesus who's guiding them out onto the lake there, let us go over to the other side, leaving the crowd behind. They took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified. And they asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. My goodness. My goodness, what an event to witness. What an experience. I thought my ferry was bad. This is something different. The thing is that you and I sometimes do go through things in life. They're a bit like storms. We feel tossed about. And as things are happening and it's all out of our hands, it just all feels so powerless and life seems out of control. You may feel like those disciples. You're shouting, trying to make yourself heard. But it's all a struggle and you're not sure you've really been understood. I want to encourage you this morning. You aren't alone. You are not alone in this storm. Jesus is right there with you in that boat. Jesus wasn't asleep because he didn't care. He could be asleep because he knew the peace that comes from knowing ultimately that God is in control. And then he was able to show that as he calmed the storm. When we find ourselves in stormy situations, remember God is there with you. And he is in control. No one is like God. No one can do what he is able to do. The disciples asked, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Wow. Who is this? Do not fear. We will be out in usual time. Okay. So, who are you? These are the words of a caterpillar to Alice as she adventures in Wonderland. And in her case, she doesn't really know the answer. She doesn't know who she is because she keeps changing. One minute she's so small, she can go through the tiniest of doors, and the next she's so big a house cannot contain her. Little wonder then that when asked, who are you, she doesn't know. Have you ever played that game when you have a famous person's name written on a piece of paper or a post-it and you place it on your forehead? Have you ever done that game? Uh, And the aim of the game is to work out who you are by asking questions to which the only answers allowed are yes or no. Have you ever played it and been uh, completely embarrassed by not having a clue who this ridiculously famous person is, even when you've taken the paper off and you're looking at it? Hmm. 
Just on Friday, at the big summer uh, curry night, which was excellent, by the way, for those of you who didn't go, it was excellent, there was a couple there who I knew I knew, but I just couldn't remember uh, who they were. So in the end, I pretty much had to ask, in not so few words, who are you? Uh, They were people from a completely different context. They don't go to church, and I'd last seen them about 10 years ago. It was really worth asking the question to find out who they were because we ended up having a really lovely evening together. Now, the disciples found themselves in a very different situation to mine, but they asked a similar question. Who is this? And, of course, uh, this, as we read earlier, is asked of Jesus. Who is this guy that's in front of them? Well, I think this brief passage reveals a number of things in relation to answering the question asked by the disciples. Who is this? Firstly, this man is, this man Jesus is creator. So far in Mark's gospel, Jesus has performed miracles, but they're of a different type. They're healing miracles. Chapter one, driving out an evil spirit, Simon's mother-in-law healed of a fever, verse 34, and Jesus healed many, and a man with a leprosy, and that's just chapter one. In chapter two, Jesus heals a paralytic, In chapter 3, we read Jesus had healed so many, those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. In chapter 4, however, there is a departure from these healing miracles to a nature miracle. Why? In this miracle, Jesus demonstrates his power and authority over nature. He shows his credentials as creator. How? Well, quite simply, Jesus is able to control it. Creation controlled. Who is this? The disciples say, even the wind and the waves obey him. Despite the disciples having seen Jesus do so many amazing things already, this, well, this takes it to a whole new level. Jesus has shown that he can command the elements. Quiet, be still. And the wind died down, and it was completely calm. Who does that? No one does that. This this is extraordinary. No wonder the disciples asked who it was before them. When was it that someone spoke and nature responded? Well, the most obvious one that springs to my mind is, and God said, Let there be light. And there was light. The world came into being as God willed it. As he spoke, so it was. This calming of the storm by Christ is a deliberate echo of Genesis, and by doing so, he shows his credentials as our creator. For who else can command the wind and the waves, and they obey him? But God. A 12th century chronicler, Henry Archdeacon of Huntington, in his account of English history, wrote of when King Canute famously had a chair placed on the seashore. And when the tide was coming in, he shouted something like the following to the rising waters. You are subject to me, as the land on which I am sitting is mine And no one has resisted my overlordship with impunity. I command you, therefore, not to rise on, uh, sorry, not to rise onto my land, not to presume to wet the clothing or limbs of your master. 
But the sea came up as usual, the historian writes, and disrespectfully drenched the king's feet and shins. So jumping back, the king cried, let all the world know that the power of kings is empty and worthless, and there is no king worthy of the name save him by whose will heaven and earth and sea obey eternal laws. Thereafter, King Canute never wore the golden crown on his neck, but placed it on the image of the crucified Lord in eternal praise of God, the great king, by whose mercy may the soul of King Canute enjoy rest. Well, the point here is obvious, isn't it? As Canute realized, and just as it perhaps dawned on the disciples, only God has true control over nature. Only God can command it to act according to his will. So in answer to the disciples' question, who is this, the answer is simultaneously logically simple and wondrously beyond comprehension. This is Jesus, creator, God. Only the creator can do these things, for they are his creation. When Jesus shows that created nature can be controlled, it is to show his inherent nature as God. Secondly, this man Jesus is saviour. The disciples were in a panic and with good reason. They were facing a life-threatening storm. Now several amongst them were seasoned fishermen who knew this stretch of water well. They were not a bunch of naive rookies. And yet we read that as they travelled across the Sea of Galilee, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat. They were clearly anxious and wanted everyone to help. If they were going to get out of this alive, they needed all hands on deck. So for Jesus to be sleeping, it's just incredible. You can hear the anxiety and, I think, a measure of anger as the disciples woke Jesus with the words, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? The disciples knew they were in need. I think we too can find ourselves saying, Lord, don't you care? Storms happen in our lives, as we said earlier. We see and experience pain and suffering. And we get scared. Lord, don't you care? Last Sunday, we looked at the account of Noah and how God rescued him and his family with the ark. And here we are again in a boat with God once again saving those that call on him. The disciples' rant, don't you care, or to put it another way, can't you just do something, is, of course, rather ironic. The whole reason Jesus was there was because he cared. The whole point of the creator of all life becoming flesh was that so he could show his love for the disciples then and you and me now. Jesus cared so much for those disciples that he saved them from a watery grave. But more than that, he came so that they and all humanity, including you and me, might be saved from a sin-induced death. The famous words, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that whoever believes in him does not die, but has everlasting life. Today, Jesus is still in the business of saving people. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Beyond Personality, writing, uh, writes about the difference, writing about the difference that Jesus has made, is that when it comes to the business of enabling us to become children of God, humanity, he says, is already saved in principle. We individuals have to appropriate that salvation. But the really tough work, the bit we couldn't have done for ourselves, has been done for us. 
We haven't got to try to climb up into spiritual life by our own efforts. It has already come down into the human race. The creator comes and controls nature to illustrate the answer to the question, who is this? It's Jesus, your savior. Finally, the answer to the question, who is this, is, this is Jesus, your friend. He's the calm one with you when life is anything but calm. Jesus wasn't safe on the shore. He was right there with them. He knew their anxiety because he was right there with them. He knew what they needed. And as David Watson wrote, his concern in working such miracles was to meet the needs of the moment, which was to overcome the fear his disciples were experiencing. It seems to me that this text does not show the disciples avoiding the storm. It happened. They went through every terrifying moment of it. God does not promise a life free from difficulty, fear, and anxiety, but he does promise to be with us. In Matthew's Gospel, and I think, Ray, you referred to it as well, we read, and surely I am with you always to the very ends of the earth. Interestingly, Jesus asked them, why are you so afraid? The Tyndale New Testament commentary that I was looking at observes that the sort of fear not is the most often sort of reiterated command in the Bible. It was the disciples' idea that they were perishing, not the Lord's. Why are you afraid, Jesus says? Do you still have no faith? Now, I don't think Jesus is saying we must all have a stiff upper lip when uh, in the face of adversity. Fear is natural. Fear is a way of keeping you safe. It's right that crazy heights or creepy critters or waves crashing into your boats scare you. Well, that makes sense. Adrenaline needs to, keep, it needs to kick in to help preserve you. I believe that Jesus is talking about something else here. Those do not be afraid moments are when being afraid would be a denial that God is in control. In Exodus 13, Moses tells the people of Israel, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance of the Lord that the Lord will bring you today. There's numerous occasions that the angels encourage those they visit, do not be afraid. You need not be afraid of the situation because when you know who stands with you, it is possible to stand firm. When the world is challenging and it quite frankly feels rubbish, it's okay to be afraid. That's natural. But know that Jesus is with you. The creator of all loves you, has saved you, and travels with you. When God is moving and doing something new, either personally in your life or perhaps here at Brighton Road, we are called to have faith and not deny that he is the creator. He is the one in control. The creator of all loves us, has saved us, and travels with us as a friend. So the disciples asked, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? He is your creator and mine. He has made all things and sustains them 
and can control them simply by a word spoken. This same creator is your saviour and mine. He rescues us from the death our wayward lives would lead us. And Jesus, well, he's your friend and mine. Just as a friend might take our hand, so he that flung stars into space, calms the storm on a lake, will take our hand in his, if we're only willing.